welcome to this episode of Conversations with Sports Fans. I'm your host, Doug Hill, and in this episode, we'll be joined by quite likely the first and only guest we'll ever have who has their name emblazoned on a college arena, Garth Pleasant. Garth has been a faculty member at Rochester University in Rochester, Michigan for 51 years, and it was the head basketball coach for 38 of those. Along the way, he amassed four national small college championships, 722 career wins, and is a member of five different halls of fame. He's also been named the National Small College Coach of the Year four times, and as we mentioned at the top, the home arena for Rochester University Warrior Athletics is named for him. And if that's not enough, Garth's also an ordained minister and served as pulpit minister at Lake Orion's Church of Christ for 30 years. I'm not sure whether Garth is going to take us to practice or to church today, but either way, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Garth, welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. Thanks, Doug. It's good to see you, and I appreciate being able to be with you. Um, I'd like to make one thing clear. Yes, yes. My, name is, my name is on the building. Um, when the main donor who had named rights, Bill Fox, um, he told Rubel Shelley he wanted my name on the building, Dr. Shelley. And I said, Dr. Shelley, I'll take care of that. And I met with Bill at the um, hotel down in Rochester and had a great lunch with him and explained why my name couldn't be on the building. And he listened very intently. He was very kind. And at the end, he said, good, that's fine go tell Dr. Shelley, I'm not going to give you any money. So I went and told Dr. <laughs> Shelley that, and, um, and I guess seven figures meant more than, um, you, you know, than me. So that's why my name's on there. Another, another funny story is when they started to build the building, they were, you know, clearing the, the land and, um, Rewall had their little um, trailer out there, and Tony Zotos was the man who was in charge of the project. So I walked out there, and we saw each other. We greeted each other, and he was Tony, and I said, I'm Garth Pleasant. He looked at me, and he said, I thought you were dead. <laughs> and then he touched me on the shoulder. So we've had a lot of fun with that. Wow. Well, thanks for that. I mean, it's a great way to start you know, our conversation today. And I, and I know that you um, are a pretty humble fella. And I'm sure it's not, um, you know, you're not crazy about having your name emblazoned on an arena, but it is an honor that is richly deserved. Having had an opportunity to talk to some of your former athletes over the course of time, uh, an, an immense amount of respect for your impact on them and on, on the university in, in general. So it's not surprising that that Mr. Fox would have some strings attached to the donation and, and good on him for doing that. Thank you. Yeah. Now, you know, the, the reason for our conversation today, though, is to find out about your interest in sports. Um, anybody who spent, you know, 38 years in the sidelines of a college basketball program probably is a bit of a sports fan, I'm thinking. But, but when do you remember first realizing you were a sports fan? Well, I can't remember not thinking I was a sports fan. Um, my dad believed in the three B's. He believed in the Bible, ball, and the belt. And so um, they have, there was old movies of me wearing his uniform draped on me and me running around the yard and things like that. And um, it is, I mean, it's just always been a part of my life. I cannot I remember not, you know, sports not being a part of me. Yeah. Did you grow up in the, in the Michigan in Metro Detroit or, or where were you? I grew up in you Flint. Flint. I grew okay. up in Flint, Michigan. I went to a school called Flint Ainsworth. It's Carmen Ainsworth now, but when I was there, it was just Ainsworth. Mm -hmm. And Ainsworth was, a, when I was in, when I was going in seventh grade, four schools consolidated into one and um i went to a school called die d-y-e and they were the die thunderbolts and man I, I, as a little boy i was a thunderbolt 
Um, I went to the games and, and I set, um, and I, and man, last year I helped manage the basketball team and, and, you know, and I, those guys always just look like giants to me. And I'll never forget going to a reunion a few years ago. And some of those guys were there and I was a lot bigger than they were. <laughs> so, but, um, and yeah, and it, um, yeah, I love school. Um, in junior high, they call it middle school. Now I played all three sports. Um, my senior year, I got beat out is, and I was the backup quarterback. And so I tried to play another position, but um, the coaches wouldn't let me. Um, and, and then I played basketball and baseball. When I got to high school, my dad asked me to give up one sport. And so football is what I gave up. Baseball was my best game and basketball was my favorite game. Why is that? Why, 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 um, why do you think basketball was your favorite? I think, I think probably because Ainsworth, the school I went to, it was a basketball school. And, uh, and it, like I said, I was in middle school and um, I just enjoyed playing it. Um, we lived sort of in the country. Um, we had a small house, two bedroom, one bath. We had a barn. And behind the barn, we had a chicken coop that I kept some of my animals in. And we had a two-seat outhouse. Now, we did have indoor plumbing, but we did have a two-seat outhouse. And we planted about three-quarters of an acre of garden. And um, we grew everything that we ate all winter. And then we had all kinds of fruit, strawberries, raspberries, peach tree, cherry tree, apple. We had grapes galore. And, um, and so I love playing there in the backyard. We played wiffle ball across the street. There was an open lot. And, you know, we, we would play. There might be four on four, right fields out, things like yeah, that. Yeah. You remember those days. Oh, yeah. Now, um, did you have a... Was there a hoop out there, kind of like, uh, you know, Jimmy Chitwood shooting in Hoosiers or something like that? Actually, yes. Only it wasn't as good as Jimmy Chitwood. <laughs> My dad found a rim and he nailed it on the back of the barn. Just the rim. No net. The barn was the backboard. Sure. And, and I would go out in the winter and I would shovel the snow off of the grass and I'd just be out there shooting. And the, and the ball was flat, too. You know, and, um, but yeah, just, you know, uh, yeah, uh, for, yeah. And I think the reason I love basketball so much was again, the high school, I wanted to play on that high school team and, um, and, and that's an interesting story. Um, we, we can get to later or whatever, but, um, it was a, it was a basketball power. Yeah. Well, tell me about your high school basketball experience. What, what was that like? I assume you made the team at some point, right? Yeah. Um, when when um, I was a South, now you have to realize three junior highs fed the high school. Okay. Sure. So there were 15 starters coming in, but only five were going to start there. And, um, you know, there were three quarterbacks that came in, but only one was going to start there. Um, and... I did make the team as a junior, junior varsity. I started in middle school and I was a guard and, and, and I made the team in June, in June, um, the junior varsity, but I didn't play much. Okay. And between my sophomore and junior year, I went to a basketball camp in Angola, Indiana. It was the branch McCracken basketball camp. Branch McCracken was the famous coach at Indiana. There were no basketball camps in Michigan. And so I went there and, and I grew and I got to be about six foot or six one. And, um, and, and then, um, and I had guard skills and I, and I really worked hard. Lou McCrary, who had coached at LSU, I believe, before Maravich, he sort of took a liking to me and he worked with me individually. He was an older guy and he really taught me offensive moves, the jab step, the crossover, 
you know, in um, the rocker step. And, and I practiced those. I went home and I took my dad's car up to the playground and I would have the lights on and I would have like a pair of shoes and I would set them up and I would, you know, beat those shoes like it was the opponent's foot and things like that. And then the battery ran out of my dad's car. And so I didn't do that anymore. And so I, I had really improved, but um, the basketball team had not been beat for two years in league plays. And my junior year was the best team they had ever had. In fact, it, we were ranked in the top 10 in Michigan class A. And um, okay. I think we were the first, we were the first suburban schools to beat the city schools. Well, I actually got cut. And they had just started a C team. And that was for kids that got cut from the varsity and got cut from the JV. And they had games for us. It was a brilliant move by my coach because people really improve. And so we played a game before the varsity did. And we played Flint Southwestern at Flint Southwestern. And I scored like, I don't know, 24, 25, eight points, something like that. I was in the mid to upper 20s. The next day, I was brought up to the varsity. Okay. Now, we played three games before Christmas. I was the last guy to get in the game. Okay. I was the last guy. But I went in, and if I had a minute – Man, no one played harder than me. And then we went to East Lansing, and we lost by a point. I didn't get in that game. Over Christmas, we played, we scrimmaged Flint Northern, Flint Central, and Flint Northwestern. And our coach kept a chart, like you get a point for a rebound, a point for an assist, minus for a turnover, two points for a made basket, a minus a point for a missed bat, you know, like that. Yeah. So we get through, and I had a really good Christmas um, with the scrimmages against good schools. So, Coach, we're in our locker room. I'll never forget this. He said, okay, who do you think had the most plus points? Everyone said Dave Meyer. Dave was our all-state center who went, um, played Division I basketball at Central Michigan. They said, who do you think the second one was? People said Woody Gibson. He was an honorable mention all state. And coach says, no. Tom Bobay, no. Jack Magelson. And Jack has got quite a story. Jack was a cross-country um, state champion in Michigan. And then he, he went to Western. And then he coached volleyball over there in Kalamazoo area. And he's the winningest high school volleyball coach in America. And I mean, they ran, they won state championship after state championship after state championship. And he was a no nonsense guy. And, um, and anyway, um, they said, you know, they said Magelson and then Tom Bobay said pleasant and coach King said, yes, pleasant. And we went to play Flint Beecher, which was a real, you know, uh, uh, they were really a, a competitive team, you know, you know, Flint Beecher yeah. and it was a close game and uh, Meyer fouled out and I ended up playing and played through the overtime and I scored six key points and grabbed some rebounds. And for that time on, I was the first sub for the guys up front. Wow! And so I went from getting cut to playing and then starting all my senior year. Fantastic. And that, I thought my coach was really fair. Yeah. You know, and what was your, what was your coach? What was his name? His name was J the letter J yeah. Paul P A U L King. Okay. I still talk to him today. He's not in good health and I've, I've called him and I talked to him multiple times a year and I always thank him for what he did for a kid. And he was my guest when I was inducted into the, um, Michigan Basketball Ho- uh, Coaches Hall of Fame, and, and I singled him out in my speech and, again, yeah. thanked him for what he always did for a kid. And he's the reason I wanted to be a coach. He was great with X's and O's, but he was a great person. 
And, you know, and he was the reason that I knew I wanted to coach basketball. Well, that's, that's a fabulous uh, tribute to him and a, a great recollection. Um, so certainly you're, you're an athlete during your younger years. Are you able to either um, take in, I don't know what, what the television situation was like up in the Flint area at that time or via radio, were you a fan of any of um, you know, the big 10 uh, teams or the, or the major pro teams in the Detroit area at that well, time? Um, I was always a real, um, I'm still a Tiger fan, yeah. you know, and I'm lucky enough to remember when the Lions were na- uh, the, na- the national champions, NFL champions, and Bobby Lane, I would go out in my yard and I just pretend playing by myself and I was Bobby Lane, and again, I, and I, I love the Tigers, I still love the Tigers, I like Michigan State growing up. And, um, and I, um, um, my uncle was a Michigan graduate and as a young boy, he took me to Ann Arbor stadium mm-hmm. and I went in and I looked at that stadium and he says, Garth, wouldn't you like to come here? And I'll never forget. I says, no, I want to go to Michigan state and I want to come in here and beat them. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, my dad would take me to a tiger game once a year. He was a factory worker. He can't, you know, his parents were sharecroppers from Southeast Missouri. They never owned a thing, a car, house, anything. They worked fields. Mm-hmm. And after the war, my dad heard there was um, work in Flint and he came up and he hired in at Buick. And so my dad worked at Buick and then my dad got into umpiring and my dad umpired for maybe you know, close to four decades. And then he got out of baseball and just started doing softball in his older days. And he actually umpired the king in his court about five times. Wow. And cool. I'm, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. Eddie, oh, Fainer. Eddie Fainer. Yeah, Eddie yeah. Fainer. Yeah. And I, I met Eddie Fainer. My dad introduced me to him. But my dad would take me to one Tiger game a year. And it was always a twinite doubleheader. And, um, and you, we didn't have a lot of money, um, but we didn't know that. Um, and I remember coming home after a game, we wanted to stop and get something to eat. And we stopped at a big boy and the hamburger was 55 cents. And my dad says, Garth, let's go on and see if we can find something cheaper. And so we did. And I caught a ball when I was a kid by, um, it was thrown by Mike Rourke who was a catcher for the Tigers. What's the last then. name? What was the last name again? Rourke. R-O-U. Rourke. R-O-U-R-K, something like that. K-E, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and my dream was always, always to play professional baseball, like all boys. But, yeah. man, I wanted to play professional baseball. And, um, unfortunately, that never happened. Um. I, I tell people the last game, the last bat I ever had in a baseball game, I struck out. But I struck out swinging. It was against Vanderbilt. And the pitcher, last name was Willis, who pitched for years for the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> so the story gets a little better as I go along there. But, you know, I found out there's always somebody better than you. Yeah, that's the old, what, the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, right? When you're yeah. talking about that. No. Yeah. Where did you uh, matriculate to, uh, to college? Did you, was it Lipscomb, I came, is that right? Well, I ended up at Lipscomb. I came here yeah. for two years, okay. and then I went to Lipscomb. And you played... Um, College baseball at Lipscomb? I played basketball here. They didn't have baseball. And then I played fall baseball. And then I played basketball at Lipscomb. And I hate to say this, but I fell in love and I quit playing basketball. You know, and um, Clint fell in love at Abilene and quit playing football. And, um, and, you know, he always says, geez, he'd like to have caught one more pass. <laughs> yeah. um, so 
your time down in, in Lipscomb's in is it Nashville, right? Nashville. Yeah. Yep. What was what was that like in terms of being a at the time? I imagine there's not a lot aside from college athletics if you're a sports fan to really participate in. What was what was that scene like as as somebody who really grew up with you know Major League Baseball being at least close enough and certainly you could listen to it on the radio? What was it like in Nashville at that time? Well, I learned to hate the SEC for one thing. <laughs> um, you know, in Vanderbilt was my favorite school, but you know. Um, we just got through in my sports society class talking about the journey of the African-American athlete. Mm -hmm. And when I played here, there were, I probably played with six African-Americans on the team. When I went to Lipscomb, there was one African-American basketball player, one African-American um, uh um, baseball player and three African-American track runners. And there are probably, there might've been 10 in the whole school. Um, there was, you know, that's when blacks were not allowed to play in the SEC. And Doug, we scrimmaged Vanderbilt. And I can't tell you one of those players' names. And we scrimmaged Tennessee State. And Tennessee State had a guy named Lloyd Neal on the team who played with the Trailblazers. They had a kid named Ted DeHaan McLean who played for Denver. And then they had a kid come in named Truck Robinson who played for the Knicks. Now, this is an NAI school. And they could not play at an SEC school. Now, here's one thing I've learned. When you make progress in one area, you lose in another area. And so when Blacks were allowed to participate in sports in the SEC, the historical Black colleges took it on the chin. Yeah. And, Doug, I don't know if you've ever studied the historical Black colleges back there. They had incredible players incredible players and so yeah i talked about that in our sports and society class and um and so um it was a little different for me mm -hmm. um i remember in little towns seeing signs whites only blacks only now i'm not saying that the north was perfect racially far from it Never saw any of that up here. And I, I had Benny White in my class. And Benny talked about, you know, um, you know, like his parents and other black parents came up from the South and got into the fact and made a, a, made a living for their family. Sure. And, and um, yeah, but the when, South when, was when, different. Yeah. When was this era? Garth, what, what time frame are we talking about? 60, right 67, the, 68, 69, yeah. 70, in that era. Yeah. So you're right in the middle of, you know, the end of the civil rights. Oh, yeah. Era, as it were, Dr. King and Dr. Yeah, everything. King. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, so, so let me say this. Yes. When you talk about television, we got LSU on the TV down there. And that's when Maravich was there, the floppy socks and that. And yep. man, we watched Maravich every time that we could, every time that we could. I mean, people don't like some of these modern day guys say that those guys couldn't play today. Pete Maravich was unbelievable. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was special. Um, and and I'll, I was in my dorm room when Ohio State was playing Michigan in 69. Was it 68 or 69 they upset them? I think it was 69, I think. I do. I think so. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I told you I was a Michigan State fan. Yeah. But I was rooting for Ohio State. This is the reason I was rooting for Ohio State. Because I wanted them to win the national championship. Because those people in the SEC just 
<laughs> you know, they, they, they just made me sick. And I'm watching that game, and in the second half, man, I switched. And I started work, you know, rooting for the Wolverines, and I became a bowl fan. And man, I was a bowl fan for all of those years. Um, so you you find your way back to Michigan at some point. I think you had was there a little uh, a gig in Georgia for a little while? Is that right? Yes. Um, I came right back from high from college, and I was hired in in here at Rochester, what was called Michigan Christian at the time, a two-year school. In my second year, I I was hired in as an instructor. In my second year, I was the head basketball coach. And we went 17 and 8. But, you know, I I was only like three years older than these guys. Yeah. And, And something came up this little school in Dasher, Georgia. And my wife and I went down there and visited and decided to go down there. The president, Dr. Gardner, was not happy with me. But I went down there. We spent four years. We really had a pretty good program. And it was an incredible little community. I mean, the only thing to do on Friday night was go to a basketball game in the winter. Football was crazy in Valdosta. In fact, Sports Illustrated called it Title Town USA. And when I got down there, their legendary coach, Wright Baysmore, had retired. And they gave it to his assistant, Charlie Green. Charlie Green in two years went 18 and three. Two of the three games he lost were to the state champions, Thomasville, who had William Andrews. They fired him. Wow. They fired him. And um, I don't know if you know anything about football in South, in South Georgia. Oh, my word. It's a religion. And every eighth grade football player in Valdosta, every eighth grade football player, no matter if they had a 4.0, they repeated eighth grade. Now, I believe there's a rule against that now. I would hope so. (laughs) Doug, well, people are doing it up here. Bob Taylor did that with his son. That's not on anybody on a podcast, Mr. Pleasant. um, What did you say? Let's not out anybody on a podcast here, Mr. Pleasant. Oh, okay. All right. I wasn't out him. You know, he's my dear friend. I helped do his wedding. Um, But, you know, those are things that are going. But anyway, um, see, the. Season tickets at Valdosta um, High School were passed down in wills. Wow. I mean, it's, it, I could, I've never seen anything like it. But we were there four years and had a great time. And um, the school was trying to get us to come back. This is where our family was. We had two kids. So we came back here. And I've been here ever since. And... How has your um, interest in sports perhaps changed over the course of your your time uh, back in Michigan um, at a you know a, what eventually became a four year institution um, with you know plenty of major sports uh, to see and, and observe all the time? What, what what is your just your your life as a sports fan? What has that become for you over the course of the, the last you know forty years or so? Well, see, when I came back here, there was there's a there's a book uh, written by Forrester at Westerby. It's called "Make the Big Time Where You Are," and I never ever ever used where I was and what I didn't have for an excuse. For not to win. Mm-hmm. Now you've been here and you saw that practice, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in, in 38 years, I never played a home game. I had to find a place to play every game. And I couldn't out recruit anybody. We had two baskets in the gym, 
The gym had like one by sixes that had been there since 1960 glued right to the floor. And every time in, and I asked the president if I could raise money to put some baskets on the side. And he said, no. So I bought four pieces of plywood from Home Depot and the maintenance guy cut it in the fa- shape of a fan backboard and bolted it to this concrete walls and I put baskets up. So now I have, um, I have two, four, I have six baskets. All right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and anytime the floor would warp, we would cut it out and we would put a piece of plywood down. Okay. That's what we had. And it was freezing cold in the winter. But again, no excuses. And we gradually built the program and we were very, very competitive, you know, as a two-year school. And then I think we've become very competitive as a four-year school. Yeah. And, um, and we, and we've added like right now we have, we have soccer for men and women, cross country for men and women. We have lacrosse for women, basketball for men and women, wrestling for men and women, baseball, softball, cross country for men and women. We have bowling for men and women. So we offer a number of sports and having this arena has really helped a great deal. Sure. Um, you know, you're, you're uniquely positioned as someone who's seen the evolution of college athletics, even at a, you know, admittedly a smaller level. I mean, your budget is, is right. paltry compared to even Oakland university, which is what six oh. miles away from you. But to that end, how has, how has the addition of interscholastic athletics or intercollegiate athletics in this case, how has that impacted Rochester university as a, as a whole? We wouldn't, we wouldn't be open if it wasn't for athletics. Like 50% of our students are recruited athletes. You find a lot throughout the country at small schools like ourselves. It's tough for a small school to survive today. There's been a number of small schools in the state of Michigan that have closed their doors. Yeah. Um, Jordan College. <laughs> Nazareth College, um, John Wesley College, uh, you know, a number of them has closed their doors. And so athletics is very important to our survival. And we're trying to build a $7 million field out here that would house baseball, softball, soccer, and lacrosse. I'm trying, I've been for years trying to get them to add club football like Oakland University. Oh, we have hockey too. Okay. And like club club football. You know, and I you know if you could bring in 50 kids and I mean that's a lot of tuition money. Yeah. So and is do you find that the um the athletes who want to continue to compete are they there? Are you not having any issues finding student athletes to to come to Rochester University? No, I mean, we had, we had, a, we had a meeting yesterday, uh, two nights ago of our athletes and there were like 430 there. And, and see, I think, I think we're pure sports. Okay. Big time. It's not pure anymore. You know, when, when Texas can go get a high school kid, his senior year, I mean, um, Ohio state, and somehow get him a GED. He doesn't go to school his senior year. He comes to Ohio State making a million dollars, and now he transfers, and he's a starting quarterback at Texas making more than that. There's something wrong. You know, yeah. when the, the freshman quarterback that goes to Miami, and he's making $7 million a year, you know? And now I know I'm old-fashioned. And I hear Jay Billis talk about that, but I want to say, Jay, what about the other sports besides basketball and football? What about those sports? You know? 
Absolutely. And, you know, you and I have had some you know, conversations offline about this, and, and I'm of the same belief that, you know, some of the best athletic competition that can be viewed is in, in arenas and gymnasiums such as yours and in athletic, you know, fields such as yours. And I, I come from a Mac school. I went to Eastern Michigan, which, you know, at the time was, you know, def, very definitely a mid-major, maybe even a minor major. It was yeah. the break of losing its division one status when I was there for football, at least. And, you know, I, I still saw very competitive athletic competitions because everybody was kind of in that same, same boat. And, and you're right. The, the majors, especially in football and basketball, it's, it's losing some of its appeal to this sports fan, at least. I don't know if it is or is not to the others. I think as long as there's gambling involved, we probably will always have major college sports, unfortunately. Now it's legalized. Yeah. You know, and, and there's no rules really. I mean, what are, what are the rules in Division One football now? You've got the portal. You can pay kids. You know, so what are the rules? I know boosters can't pay him. Ha, 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 ha. You know? <laughs> and, um, you know, I read a book. Um, uh, I, th- I think it was called The Billion Dollar Ball. And I thought the guy had a pretty good suggestion in there. And here's what he said. Your major your major schools. Now, we're going to see that happen, Doug. We're going to see two or three major conferences. Yeah. You know, when Johnny had James Young, um, both Bayhine and um, the guy from Kansas. Um, Bill Self. Yeah, they said, you know, there's going to just, you know, the NCAA is out. We're just going to have like, and so, and, and we're seeing it happen right now. I mean, it's possible that as they keep going, half the Big Ten schools won't be in one of these conferences. It's all money. And so what I think you do, and I read this in a book, and I thought it made sense to me. It doesn't make sense to anybody else, I don't think. But you take the Michigan, the Alabamas, the Georgias, all of those schools, and they're a team, you know, and they share revenue with the institution. Kids don't have to go to class. If a kid wants to go to class, then his class is paid for. And so, you you know, you make this week, there'll be, what, a 110,000 people at U of M, probably average ticket is 80 to $100. And all the stuff they sell in that, divide it up, you know, and, <laughs> you know, just divide it up and then leave the, you know, the other sports, you know, intact. I believe if they got rid, if there was a minor league football program that all of these great players went to, and you had Division Three and Division Two players playing for Michigan and Michigan State. When they played each other, I think the stadium would still be sold out. Yeah. It, I, again, you're you're preaching to the choir, um, and you are yeah. a preacher, so you can do that, I suppose. <laughs> um, you know, and I I agree. I, I've long said that if we had minor league football and a true minor league basketball, we're getting there. I think with the G League slowly but surely. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think college, the individuals who want to matriculate to college and continue to be an athlete will still do that. And then it will still be very competitive. And you're still going to see um, 110,000 people in the stands at Michigan for a Michigan, Michigan State game or a Michigan, Ohio State game. You're still yeah. going to see 20 plus thousand and kids camping out at, outside of Cameron Indoor for a Duke, North Carolina yeah. basketball game. It, it's going to happen. Um, yeah. So. Let's um, let's pivot a little bit and talk about some of the places that you've been able to to get to along the way um, as, as a fan. And, you know, maybe it's because you were a coach and you've had, you know, a little bit of an ability to, to get to some things. What are, what are some of the highlights in terms of things you've been able to see in person um, during your during your life? Darth? Well, um, you know, I've seen um, I love the final four. OK. I love the final four and, and I just like being at the final four, the city. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's electric. Indianapolis is the best place. Um, as you know, our family are Duke fans too, and we've seen we saw Duke beat Wisconsin. Um, um, I you know Tiger World Series game I've seen, um, and and maybe the, maybe the most exciting. Um, and you know the story, but I'll go ahead and tell you if we've got time about John Horse. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, John Horse was from Sandusky, Michigan. He came here a member of our JV team. And he was a great kid. He practiced hard. We put him on the varsity, but he never got to play. Joe Dumars was great to me. And when our when our gym had leaked and the floor was warped, we got to practice at the Pistons facility. And, and so um, he called me and they asked for an unpaid intern. So I sent him John. And I'll just make this quick. After his intern was up, he called me, says, coach, they don't want me to leave, but they don't have a job for me. They'll pay me $8 an hour, and I only can get paid for like 30 hours a week. And he had a supervised position available of waiting for him for FedEx. Okay. But he chose to stay. And less than a year later, he told me, called, he said, they've offered me a full-time job. At that time, John Hammond was Joe's right-hand man, and mm-hmm. John Hammond became the president of the Bucks. Yeah. And he offered my kid, John Horse, to go with him. Dumars countered the offer, and Hammond countered Dumars' offer. So John went to the Milwaukee Bucks. When they wouldn't extend John Hammond's contract, he went to the Orlando Magic. And I guess, you know, what they were offering for the um, general manager's position with the Bucks, people didn't want it. I think it was a just a embarrassing amount about five hundred thousand dollars <laughs> and but john horse my guy was named the general manager doug i had usa today sports all these people calling me wanting to know who john horse is <laughs> well you know he's been the executive of the year they win small market, win the NBA championship. And when they were playing Phoenix two years ago for the championship on a Tuesday night in Milwaukee, he called me. He says, Coach, I want you here tomorrow. He said, I, um, I've got a ticket for you. I got a room for you. And car service will pick you up at 9 o'clock in the morning and drive you here. And I said, John? Can I bring my grandson, Logan? <laughs> and, and, and he let me. And I mean, what a night that was in Milwaukee. And yeah. so, um, yeah. And um, so I haven't done this like my, my son, Johnny, who you know well, who Cosmo gave way too much press coverage to. And I think weren't you with Cosmo when uh, Cosmo gave him a um, – a graduation present and he went on a Pearl Jam tour? I was not a part of that trip, no. Oh, well, that, they were Nashville, yeah. Indianapolis. No, oh, no, I, I was I wasn't that trip. That was his graduation year? Yeah, yeah. Oh. And yeah. What, what, what was the photographer's name? Jose. Jose. Jose, Jose was there. And my son learned a whole lot of words from Jose that he had never heard before. <laughs> And oh. Jose's great. Yeah, but um, uh, we're, all, we're all big Jose fans, but he he does have a bit of a potty mouth. You're right. Yeah. You're right. And he was studying to be a minister at one time. At one time, I, I think that he was appropriately defrocked at some point, I think. So <laughs> <laughs> um now, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm since I've been in your office before, and, and the listeners, you know, are not gonna be aware of this, but I, I was in your office, I think, in the old spot, maybe when you were still, you know, across the campus. But yes. I, I swear, I saw in there a letter from John Wooden. Yes, 
It was, um, it was actually, it wasn't from John Wooden. Okay. I do have a letter from John Wooden, but a school in Minnesota college yeah. had contacted John Wooden um, wanting to know names of candidates for their school. They're a faith-based school. Gotcha. Yeah. And the first sentence says, your name has been submitted by coach John Wooden as a candidate for our position. Yeah. And I had that fold. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I had it folded up in a, in a, in my file drawer and Clint found it and Clint and my other two kids for father's day, they framed it. They had a picture of Wooden and a letter that he had written me also. Mm-hmm. And I hang it on my wall. That is a prized possession. Yeah, and, and where I was going with that is uh, I'm, okay. no, no. I mean, it, you're fine. I, I, the story in the background is fantastic, and I'm happy that the Clint, John, and, and your daughter did that for you. I think that's that's fabulous, and it should be a point of pride and, and something that you're really honored to have. But I know as just somebody who you know watches basketball on TV and and you know, grew up in Indiana for a little while, and you know a father who's a huge basketball fan. I, I know the legend of John Wooden. I never saw him coach. I would see him sit in sidelines and things of that nature. Um, but is there a moment? I, I know you're a very successful college basketball coach, Garth. I know that you have plenty of accolades. But are you when you get something like that? How do you, how does that make you feel? Oh my, there's, there's, there's no, there's no, I can't put it in words. I admired that man so much. I admired him as a coach. I admired him more as a man. The three or four times we were together and we talked, we never talked about basketball. Yeah. We talked, we talked about our faith in God. And he, he, like, you could call his house and he, you would say, I'm Doug Hill. I've always admired you. I'm a sports writer. He would talk to you. And I don't know if you know this, but when his wife died, he never, he left the bed made. He slept on the bed with a cover and he wrote her a poem every month and he had them tied up there where she slept. Hmm. You know, he was uh, just a special man. Yeah. And, and I know that you've had the experience to meet and and be in the presence of many other legendary figures in, in the, intercollegiate athletic world is there anybody else who rises to that level any other stories that you would have in terms of other folks that you've been able to know a little bit along the way bobby knight was always nice to me and i met bobby knight through kent benson kit and i still talk a lot larry brown was very good to me as was flip Joe Dumars. Flip Saunders, right? Flip Saunders. Yeah. Yes. Flip Flip took me in his office, and I have right in front of me down here all of his offense and all of his defense. Just gave it to me. Larry Brown was very kind. Joe Dumars is my favorite all-time basketball player, NBA basketball player. Why, Why is that? Well... I just, I always appreciated the way he played. See, I don't get into trash talking, although I like Larry Bird and he's in Charles Barkley, but I just, I didn't want my players trash talking. And I asked Dumars one time, did people talk trash to you? And he says, no, he says, but I never talked trash to anybody. And I, I just thought that he was just a class guy. In everything, a great family man, and I thought very humble, you know. And I've you, never, yeah. I was going to say, do you think that has something to do? We we had talked about HBCUs earlier, 
Do you think that had something to do with him coming out of McNeese State and, and from a, a small school and and perhaps not having the kind of accolades, even in a more modern era than what you would have been down there for? Do you think that had something to do with it? I do. I also think it had a lot to do with his upbringing. Sure. When his mother was up here, Joe took her to church every Sunday. You know, and yeah, I just think um, went to the Franklin Road Church of Christ where Patrick Medlock was the minister. Yeah, you know, I gravitate to people like that. You know, I'm like my son Johnny has a saying that that I think is old is really true, and I try to. I try to live by this. If it comes between being right and being kind, be kind. Yeah. And Doug, I saw my dad sit in the hospital with a complete stranger that he never knew. The man was dying of the disease that took my dad's life, cancer. And the man got sick and my dad held a towel so the man could throw up in it. My dad didn't know the guy. I said, Dad, why did you do that? And he said, Garth, it's the right thing to do. And I've, I've always tried to live by, do the right thing. You know, I mean, that's what I've tried to live by. Yeah. When, when I got through coaching, I sent every referee that I remembered having a note thanking them for what they had done. Um, and I didn't do that to get any calls because I was done coaching. You know, was uh, did you get any responses to that out of curiosity? Yes, I did. I Pretty did. Po positive stuff. Very positive. Very positive. In fact, one of the referees is Larry Martin. And I didn't know this until later, but Larry was in charge of all the um, athletic facilities for U of M. Hmm. I said, Larry, I teach a facility design <laughs> and event management class. Could I bring my class up there? And he said, yes. He said, I won't do it for, he tells my class, I don't do this for, you know, people. But, you know, he <laughs> says some nice things. In fact, we're going there October the 19th. And um, it's really fascinating. And what we learn, you know, about the big house and the event management and our kids just going, whoa, everything from there are snipers all around. I don't know if you knew that or not. To they why have would, a why would I know that? I'm, I'm just I'm just a, a measly fan when I'm there. I know. I know that it, they have snipers, and then they all the way to a puke squad. <laughs> and he said, "We don't we don't have to be called. Hey, someone puke. We just see the stand separating, <laughs> and yeah. the the puke squad likes twelve o'clock games a lot more than they like eight o'clock games. <laughs> and I'm sure they were not a fan of a recent uh, lightning delayed U.M. <laughs> Stadium yeah. that did not make the puke squad very happy. Yeah. Uh, that's incredible. Well, hey, is there something else that you would like to get to to see in person that you haven't been able to do yet, or, or, or some other oh, event, or some other venue? What, what else, what else is out there for Garth Pleasant? Somebody who's been to countless Final Fours and been able to have conversations with John Wooden and, and others. What else is out there for you right now? You know, I can't think of anything. You know, um, I'm not, I'm being honest about that. I don't think about, oh, I would like to do that. You know, um, I'm pretty content. Um, if I died tonight, I, I've been blessed much more than I ever deserved. Yeah. I've, I've loved this job. This has been, people don't understand this. This has been my ministry at this school for 50 years. This is how I serve God, working with these young people. You know, and it's so great to hear young people say, that school changed my life. 
you know, and, um, and young kids have been, I mean, they've been so kind and, um, but yeah, this is, you know, this, I, in fact, my prayer, Doug, and I can show it to you on my phone is Lord, help me to be more than a lecturer in a classroom. Help me to disciple the way of Christ to these kids. Okay. And I don't, and I don't do that by cramming religion down their throat. I think you do it by the way you live and what yeah. you expect from kids. I, I never heard my parents use profanity. My kids have never heard me or my wife use profanity. That's just us. I never used profanity on my kids, with my players, and I didn't allow them to do it in my present. Okay. Big Benny came off in early in the second half. He's an All-American, and he dropped the F-bomb. Now, I have F-bombs at my summer camp. Faith, family, and friends. Those are my F words. And so I said, Benny, sit down. I says, Benny, we might lose this game, but you're not going back in. And I never put him back in. And it was a close game. And, and when I talk to kids about this, I'll call Benny on the phone. I'll say, Benny, coach, how you doing? I said, do you remember when you came off the floor? <laughs> yeah, coach. I said, did you ever do it again? He says, no, coach. <laughs> and then before I hang up, Doug, he says, coach, I love you. And he means it. Oh, that's great. He means it. And so, um, yeah, this has been my ministry. Now, let me tell you what I don't like about sports, okay? Okay. I don't like when I see money running sports. I mean, it's all about the dollar. I hate seeing parents put thousands and thousands of dollars into their kids' sporting, thinking they're going to be a pro one day. I think parents are absolutely ruining youth sports. Not all of them, but it takes one bad apple. Um, you know, I just, um, parents playing the game through their kids' eyes. And, and the, if you ever watched the um, Marinovich ESPN tape. Oh, yeah. It's been a long, long, yeah, a long time ago, but yes. yes. The making of a quarterback and how his dad was. And then watch how um, Manning was with his kids. But there's so much pressure. And these kids are being, these kids are being forced to, to play one sport year-round. And that bothers me. And I told Izzo this when he was recruiting James Harris. I was in the gym. We were just talking. And I says, Tom, people say you have really seen kids change over the 40 years, haven't you? And I'll go, um, yeah, some, but not nearly like I've seen moms and dads change. Doug, there's not going to be coaches like me coaching for 38 years anymore. They're having trouble getting bas the average age of a high school basketball ref in, in Michigan, I think, is 60. I mean, why do you want to go out for 50 bucks and subject yourself to all of this stuff? Yeah. I think they ought to start throwing fans out of the gym, <laughs> <laughs> off the field. Yeah, and so I really have some, some concerns about that, um, you know, where it's going. When Johnny was uh, 11 years old, the uniform he wore, he would have never worn a nicer uniform unless he made the majors. Double knit, tackle twill, it was unreal. And 
I don't think we're letting kids be kids. Uh, and and he, here, here's what coaches' responsibilities are. Number one, to develop kids. Number two, for the kids to have fun. And number three would be winning. But what happens today, you know, you have a guy at Flor a coach at Florida who wins national championships, you know, and 30 or 40 of his guys are in trouble with the police. But he keeps his job because he's successful and he wins. Then you have the guy who doesn't win. But all of his kids graduate. The kids don't get in trouble with the law, but he gets fired because he's not successful. It's an ambiguous word, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Well. So I go around now and I like to talk to parents on being the parent of an athletic child. And, and I don't and I do this free. Um, because I think the message I have to give is very, very important. Here's all a kid needs to hear after he gets done playing. When my kid, grandkids get done playing, five words. I enjoy watching you play. I don't coach them unless they ask me a question. And... And it's, you know, it would be so much better if that's the way it was. Um, I was going in to give that talk one time. And this man came up next to me, didn't know. He says, Coach, I'm, I've come tonight to hear what you have to say. I said, really? He said, yep. <clears throat> he said, my wife and I are divorced. My son is a major league prospect, without a doubt. There's no question. And she's letting him play football. I says, well, you don't want to hear what I have to say. I think kids should play all sports. And um, I said, my son, Johnny, wants his kids playing all sports. He encouraged one of his best players to play soccer because maybe he could help the team win the championship. And the kid broke his arm and missed like the first six, seven games for Johnny. Yeah. But anyway, I said, is your kid a good running back? He said, oh, yeah. And he had all his stats, touchdowns and that. I said, what happens if he ruins his arm? And he can't throw, but he could run. And so my last question was, how old is your son? He said, 12. <laughs> But, Doug, that's the way these parents think, you know? Yeah. It is uh, most assuredly a very different era. Um, and, but I, I love your – I love the five words. And, um, you know, I, I think – I enjoy we, watching you play. And I think the piece that most parents don't realize is that it's over before you know it. Bang. Um, you know, my – I think, you know, my son – um, wrestled for four years in high school. He found his sport. He was not uh, necessarily gifted anyplace else. And, you know, as I tell the story, you'll find out he wasn't very gifted in wrestling either. Um, did not win a varsity match unless it was a walkover. Um, but, you know, his mom and I, we, we enjoyed watching him compete. Everybody very nervous because of some of the positions that they would be in. And yeah. some of the bloody noses and the other types of things that, that occurred, but you know, it was over in the, in the blink of an eye, those four years were done like that. And, you know, now I think we would give a King's ransom to be able to see him on a wrestling mat one more time or to, you know, be on a, a baseball field and, and, you know, take some cuts again at some point. Um, and I, I don't think parents realize how fleeting your childhoods, your, your children's childhoods are. So there's no need to rush them into adulthood. Oh, and I, I say that as an educator, 
um, as well, because I, I, I just feel like everybody is in a hurry to get to the next thing as yes. opposed to really kind of letting everything marinate and soak in, in the moment that you're in, um, you know, Doug, it, it's, called, it's called, it's called the, the present for a reason, right? Because it's a gift. Yeah. So we need to enjoy that. Yeah. Enjoy the present. I've said many times, I would love to see my boys play one more football game under the lights. Yeah. I've got a grandson who's in college now. His high school athletics are over. I have a granddaughter who's a senior. She's not playing sports anymore. And my little guy is a ninth grader this year. And I love watching him play. He's pretty good. But it's going to be over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really so I know is. what you do, and I appreciate what you said. Well, um, I appreciate all that you said, Garth. This this took us um, all over the place today. I think you did, in yeah. fact, take us both to, to school, to practice, and to church. We got all three of them from, <laughs> from Coach Pleasant tonight. This was, this was really incredible and very generous of you to give us this much time. Thank you so much. Doug, have a great evening. I appreciate your friendship and really helped to get Bacon talk in my class. <laughs> okay. Well, you just dropped a plug in for him right there. John U. Bacon, that's Garth Pleasant calling you out right here. Conversations with Sports Fans is a production of The Sports Fan Project. Our theme music is, fittingly, entitled Wooden Championships by Lobo Loco. Please visit our website at thesportsfanproject.com for more information and to contact us. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with other sports fans you know and invite them to give it a listen. 